What are cryptocurrencies? Hey, hey, hey. What are NFTs? A non-fungible token. Time to buy Bitcoin. Bitcoin just seems like a scam. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? Bitcoin! Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to On The Ledger. This is your host, Mol Saeed, and I'm back once again on your weekly rendezvous from Paris. Today, we're talking about one of the most inspiring DeFi projects out there. One that's truly anchored in the ethos and values of crypto and decentralization. A project that doesn't have investors, a top-down hierarchy, or an official voice. It's rather a collective of contributors, builders from all over the world, working in tandem, beloved by an impressive community, and governed by a famous token called Wi-Fi. As you might have guessed it by now, we're talking about Yearn Finance, a yield layer that aims to underpin financial instruments without the needs for banks nor middlemen. That yield machine will soon be available in Ledger Live to help you grow your crypto. So we thought that this would be the perfect opportunity to dive into Yearn's story and explore its future. To do so, I'm glad to welcome Faku Ameal, comes manager at Yearn Finance. Hello, Faku. Welcome to On The Ledger. How are you feeling today? Hello, Mo. What a presentation. Thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Super excited to talk about Yearn. We'll be joined by Iqbal Gandam, Ledger's VP for Payment and Transactions. Iqbal, welcome back on the show. How are you feeling? I'm good and thank you for having me back. Yeah, it's great. First of all, congratulations to both of you on that integration. And as I said, I'm pretty excited to chat with you because Yearn truly fascinates me. So let's get going. On the Ledger, Season 2, Episode 9, Yearn and Ledger. Here we go. So let's start from the beginning. Faku, how would you explain Yearn to the folks who know nothing about it? What a question. Uh, I will try to keep it in simple terms. Uh, Yearn is uh, it's what we call a, a yield aggregator. What it does is what you do when you're farming, when you're depositing tokens in some protocol, and collecting rewards, but automatically. And it does it for you and in a cheaper way, in a much cheaper way, because you are socializing the gas costs, with, with our, which are really high in Ethereum right now, uh, with all the users that are in the pool. So that's what we do to help our users. We're, we're user-focused. Okay. And maybe I'll try to drill down on, on, on the different things you said there. So you're talking about yield. So technically, how, where does the yield come from? And... and uh, you know, comparing to other DeFi protocols, how is Yearn any different? That, that's actually a good question because a friend of mine told me last year, if you don't know where the yield come from, the, you are the yield. So <laughs> it's, it's really good to know, to know where it comes from. Um, we deposit into protocols like, uh, for example, Compound Finance, that it's a, it's a good example. It's a big one uh, where you deposit tokens and you get governance tokens as rewards. Uh, but we believe that's complicated for users. Because, for example, you deposit DAI and you get comp, but you don't get, you don't want comp. You just want your DAI, a stable coin, to grow. So that's the magic of compounding. What we do is we convert those comps into DAI. So and that compounds the interest, and you get more and more interest based on that. We also have more complex strategies, but that's that's the base of our operation. Um, Egbal, um, you know. Having Yearn and Ledger Live will enable Ledger users to access it in a fully secure way. Um, but what else does it mean for Ledger users in terms of benefits? So I think if we're going to expose the world of crypto to a wider audience, we need to keep abstracting away the complexities of investing in crypto. So by combining Ledger and Yearn, what we're doing is providing the security of Ledger, 
and integrating it with a platform such as Yearn, which is making investing into crypto super simple. So I can take myself as an example. I simply do not have the time to go to each individual token, look at the yields, create a portfolio and saying, this is how I'm going to invest. I would much rather go to a platform like Yearn, pick one of their or choose one of their strategies and they abstract away all the complexities. They do the buying of the tokens, they do everything. And all I'm looking for is a return. Ultimately, what we're doing is we're, we're, we're trying to make crypto and crypto investing easy, but in a secure manner. Absolutely. And speaking of strategies, Faco, I listened to your ETHCC talk. First of all, amazing talk where you laid out the how you know Yearn operates and implements Vault strategies. Um, what could you tell us about Vaults and strategies and maybe kind of walk us through the implementation process? Oh, that's, a, that's a great question. Thanks about the, the ETHCC talk. Um, you need to see the vaults as a, like as a piggy bank. It's a transparent piggy bank where you deposit tokens. So you put your tokens into the vault and then we have multiple strategies that are going to pull those tokens, invest them and collect the rewards. That's how it works. And uh, the great thing about uh, our vaults is that now we have multiple strategies per vault. What's good about it? It's that um, we diversify the risk. So the, you don't have all your tokens in the same place, in the same protocol. You have it in multiple places with different rewards and different risk profiles. We always are on the um, on the security on the secure side of the of the of the things. That's why we have a an extensive process to to approve a strategy and to attach it to one of our vaults. We we rather lose uh, a few points of yield because we it takes us a little bit of time to approve a strategy, but always uh, assure the security of, of the funds. So uh, an overview of the process or how we uh, create a strategy and how we attach it to a vault, it's more, it goes more or less like this. Uh, the strategies are created by strategists. Strategists are, big brain people that uh, are not necessarily uh, hardcore coders. They need to understand how things connect. That, that's the important thing. They create an investment strategy and they have to present it to, the, to their peers because we, we do peer reviews. So more eyes on the code because that's, that's what you need to, to assure security. Then we, then we send it to a testing platform that they have that it's called ape.tax. Uh, that's all test, that's experimental. So they tested with real funds there for a few weeks to uh, to ensure that it's working correctly. That uh, those vaults are going to be capped. The, the deposit limit is going to be really low, so we don't risk uh, a lot of funds. Then we have a, a committee that is called the Safe Farming Committee that has to approve that strategy and approve the pro the underlying protocol. So if it's a new one, we're going to do a deep investigation. Uh, about who is governing that protocol, how were the audits, um, uh, which are the, the developers there, and everything. And if that gets approved, uh, it goes through one of our internal security auditors that is going to give it the final review. And then, and only then, it goes to our multisig to, to be approved. So that's our process. It takes uh, some time, but we think it's a good one. So Iqbal, on the Ledger side, you've been spearheading integrations and product innovations that facilitate DeFi accessibility for Ledger users. Um, what's your DeFi mass adoption vision like? DeFi mass adoption. Um, so I think if if we're going to access, if we're going to have mass adoption in DeFi, we really need to understand the security 
implications in this world. And I think for me, the vision is that everybody replaces their existing financial services with those available in the world. And I'm, I'm going to say CFI and DeFi. Um, I think the DeFi world has a lot of uh, evolving to do. Irrespective of that, we need to ensure that we have a secure layer or a secure mechanism in the way people access this world. And I think that's what's missing. And I think that's what Ledger provides. And I don't want this to sound like a, a sales pitch for, for Ledger. But I think if we have a look at the Web 2.0 world, to access Web 2.0, we had hardware and software. We had a laptop and a web browser. We had a mobile phone and the app store. We need to combine hardware, could be a Ledger hardware wallet, with that of software. So for me, my vision of mass adoption in DeFi is let's replace the financial system. Whatever we do with money today in the traditional world, let's replace that with the world of DeFi and DeFi applications, whether it's investing, for example, with the likes of UN Finance, but combine that with a secure layer. That, that, that would be my vision. What do you think, Faku? What's, what's your uh, DeFi uh, mass adoption vision? <laughs> That's a tricky question. Uh, a month in DeFi is like uh, a year in real life. That's what we always say. I agree with Iqbal that uh, it has to be a security first approach, first of all. Um, and I think that uh, we need to improve UI and UX for users because right now DeFi is a small world. We, we are we are pretty much all nerds who are using DeFi because you need some kind of technical knowledge. And, and I think we are all working towards uh, including more people in it. And in the end, in a, in a far future, I, I see DeFi as a backend, not as a front-end to the users. Because all in all, and this, this is not related to Yarn Finance, it's, it's a general thing. It's, uh, we have websites that have the forgot your password link. So we're going to need that because some people don't want to uh, be the owners of their keys. And that's fine. That's totally fine. But what I love is that we have the option. If you want to be the owner of your, of your keys, you can. And right now with traditional finance system, you cannot do it. So having the option is really important, but also giving the opportunity of other users who are not uh, that keen on having their keys or having that massive responsibility um, to have an option to operate in the DeFi world. So that's that's how I see the future. Okay. Uh, so let me move on to another topic. It's kind of impossible to talk about Yearn without mentioning the way it's governed and its famous fair launch. So to recap, Andre Cronier, Yearn's creator, bootstrapped Yearn without even having to write a white paper, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. uh, then gave away the control for free by issuing a number of governance token called Wi-Fi. Is that how you pronounce it? I've been Because I've been hearing Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi, but I've always been yeah. saying Wi-Fi. So I hope that's okay. So Wi-Fi didn't have market value, meaning that you couldn't buy them off the market and had to uh, basically earn them. Uh, through participation, and that's absolutely fascinating. Maybe that's why the why earn, you know, the yearn. But uh, anyway, I'm, I'm just, you know, analyzing the whole thing. So people are, you know, some people are in it for the money, others are in it for the tech. You guys are clearly in it for the values. But the question everyone might be asking themselves is, how is yearn governed? Uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a great explanation. Uh, Andre always said that he did it because he was lazy. He's a great prototyper and he didn't want to maintain Yearn. So that's why he did the fair launch. Uh, people laugh at it, but it's a, it's quite a cool, cool concept. 
but uh, sending everything to governance, like to white, we call it Wi-Fi. It's just uh, just not to say Wi-Fi, like the wireless network. Mm-hmm. Um, so giving it to the Wi-Fi holders would make uh, the whole protocol super slow because you have to send it to governance, wait uh, for some discussion to happen, then send it to a, to a formal on-chain voting. So uh, a few months ago in April, we came up with a new way of doing it. It's a constrained delegation. So at Yarn, what we do is we have what we call white teams. Each white team has, uh, has some powers, some things they can do. For example, white people has the power to pay people grants for the contributions. White budget has the power to uh, set a budget for, for a team or for uh, sponsorship to events or travel uh, expenses, whatever. Uh, and the wifey holders, they retain the power to, uh, to change the powers of the teams. So that's the cool thing. They delegate some of the of the, their responsibilities to smaller teams so we can act fast because today is really, really important to act fast. And I think that's that's also um, some innovative things that we're do, doing at Yearn is we're always experimenting with uh, human interaction, how we organize the whole organization without bosses and in in an horizontal way. So that, that's a cool thing to, to, to look at. It. That's fascinating. So it's basically... Um... A number of substructures and teams that kind of work together and interact based on common incentives, and and your team is Ybrain. Could you maybe speak more to that? What is what is Ybrain? <laughs> yeah, it's actually that. It's like a multi DAO, and we call it Ybrain because it's the strategists. Uh, the strategists are the ones that write the strategies, but not only write them, they maintain them because it's. It's not only about creating an investment strategy. DeFi is a living thing. So protocols, stuff happens to protocols. You need to be checking, to be monitoring. We built a whole alerting system. Uh, it's like sometimes uh, from the outside, it seems like you write a strategy and then you go and enjoy mojitos on the beach. Uh, <laughs> it's not quite like it. And well, well, our team has the power to create new strategies has the power to send them to the multisig, but they cannot approve a strategy to be attached to a vault. And that's very important because the, the multisig has that power. So it's so being divided in two, it gives uh, some cross-control, cross-check about that the strategy is not a malicious one, that the strategy is going to function correctly. Uh, we got to present the process that we followed for that strategy. So it's, it's cross-checked. It's not a, a free-for-all. That's That's pretty interesting. Egbal, um, self-custody is at the core of the ethos of this ecosystem. Uh, but to Faku's earlier point, um, it's fair to say that it's intimidating to newcomers and does entail some risks if you're not pretty educated about you know, how to manage your keys or your recovery phrase. So most people still use custodians to hold their crypto assets. How do you see that evolving? Well, I think any... I think if you look back at history, there, there hasn't been a single instance of innovation which hasn't been intimidating. You know, sitting in the first motor car for people who were sitting on horses was very intimidating. Um, so I don't see that necessarily as an issue. That's more of an, a, an evolution that we need to take. But what we have today, and I think this is what we as individuals, we as people need to understand, is for the first time, we can actually take control of our money. And that's more, that's really powerful because the most 
valuable vote or the most powerful vote we have as humans is the pound or the euro or the dollar in our pocket. By taking control of that, we can take control of a lot of the issues that we're facing today as a society. And I don't want to go into a philosophical discussion, but I think it's very important to, to highlight that. Yes, it's intimidating. Yes, you know, this is a, a stepping stone. And yes, today, some people will go down the self-custody route. They're confident in tackling self-custody and having ownership, but not everyone. But we now have the ability to do that. We need to make it easier as an industry. We need to work out mechanisms by where we can ensure the seed or let's call it replace the seed in various different guises and mechanisms. But no longer, individuals no longer can say, well, you know, we can't get this done or, you know, the governments aren't listening to us or nobody's listening to us. You have the power to make the government listen to us. You know, you want to change the climate today. You can go into a bank. And you can tell all the politicians that tomorrow morning we're closing out our bank accounts and we're moving all our money into crypto. And I'm not saying, you know, Bitcoin, Ether and all of these other tokens, you can move into a stable coin. The moment 100,000 people do that, I guarantee it the government will listen for whatever topic, for whatever topic. So for me, yes, it's intimidating, but you now have a solution. It's down to the individual to say, hey, I want to utilize this solution. But the industry also needs to make the solution slightly better. You know, recovery of seed and, and insurance, et cetera, et cetera, which, you know, the industry is working on. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. And, you know, innovation has never been driven by the incumbents anyway. So, Faku, scalability is definitely key for the development of DeFi. Um, Yearn has increased its capital efficiency in the past year by merging with Cream, Acropolis, SushiSwap, Cover. I might have missed some. First of all, I've heard that these uh, kind of mergers happened without any kind of legal paperwork. It was just like a tech merge. Is that true? Because uh, because that's that's truly fascinating if it's the case. Yeah, indeed. The, there was no paperwork because uh, we are all projects. We're all uh, DAOs. We don't have any paperwork, any incorporation in any place. And... Uh, Usually when someone asks me about Yearn and, and all these protocols, I say, yeah, the, the, the technology is really cool. That's why we merged the technology and we started uh, to collaborate more tightly. But what's awesome is the, the experiment about interactions. When everyone saw merger, they said, okay, where, where's the M&A? Where, where are the documents? Which, com which companies buying which? Uh, and we said, no, we're just collaborating. We call it merger because we don't have a better word. So what are the next milestones? Um, now that you've increased, you know, in a significant way, your capital efficiency, what, what are like the future milestones for Yearn? Uh, well, now we are in, um, in a moment where there are a lot of side chains and, and scalability solutions. Uh, and I believe in a future, uh, a multi-chain future, where each chain is going to be used for a use case or for multiple use cases. So the next milestone is uh, multi-chain. We've, we've launched in Phantom, but we're going to continue launching in chains that make sense and that will allow our users to, to invest uh, cheaper, but always in a safe way. That's why we pick, we, we, we really cherry pick the, the chains we're going to. Okay. And can you get any kind of sneak peeks? Uh, is, it, is it more like layer ones, layer twos? It's okay if you, if you, can't, if you can't say anything, but... Uh, trying no, my no, luck it's there. fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's the alpha. <laughs> um, 
No, it's okay. We we launched in Phantom and we're actually looking at other solutions. We don't care if it's an L2 or a sidechain. Uh, both both solutions have their pros and their cons. So we're looking at both L2s and sidechains, but we don't we haven't decided on any any other chain right now. Okay, fair enough. Iqbal, regarding DeFi, Ledger Live has now integrated with Paraswap, Lido, Zerion, and soon One Inch and Compound. Um, what are the future kind of uh, Ledger Live developments that you're most looking forward to? So, in, um, that's a, I was going to say that's an easy question in some aspects to, to, to address. Um, the, the idea about the, the Ledger ecosystem is to help replace the traditional financial system. So if you look at the traditional financial system, there's about six or seven things you, you, know, you do with money. You, you'll trade it, you'll invest it, you'll save it to earn some kind of interest. You'll borrow money, you may send it to somebody or you may spend it. So those six financial verticals in an ideal world, I would like to replace all of those with the, the, the Ledger ecosystem. And that includes the, the Nano and that includes uh, Ledger Live. Um, so we're working with various partners who replace those. So if you look at Yearn, ticks the box or partly ticks the box when it comes to investing. We have trading applications on our, you know, Paraswap, you know, is a trading application. We will look at various places where you can earn. So staking is really important, um, important to us. Um, and slowly we will fill all of those six verticals with the leading players within that space. And the premise behind that is, I come back to the point that I made earlier, if you're going to access the world of Web 3.0, you need Web 3.0 zero solutions. So you need hardware and you need software. So you need a nano combined with Ledger Live, just as you had a laptop combined with say Internet Explorer. And that's that's the holy grail from you know where I'm sitting right now. Interesting. Most definitely looking forward to that. Um Faku, um more than a year ago, um Andre distanced himself completely from Yearn. Uh, he published a rant on Medium titled Building in DeFi Sucks. Uh, why do you think that is, and how uh, can we change that in the future? That that's a difficult one. Uh, if you ask me, if the if building if DeFi sucks, sometimes it does. Um, why? I come I come from the open source software community. I am really used to build uh, with open source software, and uh, Yearn is like open source but with money. And if you check any open source product, you are going to to see the same behavior users have in DeFi with open source protocols. They are going to criticize, they are going to ask for immediate support, even if they are not paying anything. Uh, They're going to ask for features that they want. Uh, There's there's always going to be people that don't understand the open source uh, philosophy and how how an open source uh, project uh, works like how they pay the bills because they have to pay the bills. If you, when you have a person all day working full time, uh, that person has to eat like three times a day to be alive. So um, that's that's why Andre rant about uh, building DeFi sucks, but it also therapeutic, therapeutic, like to, to get things out, sorry. Uh, and And sometimes it does, but when it doesn't suck, it's super exciting because you're building things that are going to replace the traditional financial system, as Iqbal said. So that's super exciting. And you're go- you're making an actual change, a practical change. It's not that you're doing a plan that someone will implement in the following 35 years. 
you're doing something that it's going to get implemented in the following month or two, for example, and that is going to change someone's life. And I've seen crypto change uh, people's lives, uh, not not only in in the third world countries or or the Philippines that, that everyone said, but uh, Europe, the US or whatever. So I think when it doesn't suck, it's really awesome. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And I think we've all seen how crypto changes people's lives. And that's what's most exciting about it. Um, so that's a, that's a question to both of you, actually. When you think about the future of DeFi, uh, if you had to choose one thing that excites you the most and one thing that worries you the most, what would you choose? Iqbal, you can start. I think I have the same answer to both the questions. <laughs> So what excites me is what worries me. And I, I'm, I'm genuinely, I'm looking forward to, I'm going to use the term battle. Um, and I'm not sure if that's slightly harsh, but the, 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 the battle, the challenge between the regulators and the world of DeFi and DAOs. I, I'm fascinated by how DAOs are going to work and how they're going to scale and how, you know, businesses are going to be run by, let's call it code. Well, it's not, it's, let's not call it code. It is code and how the regulators are going to attempt to control that. Um, for me, that's the most exciting part in the world of DeFi because that's fundamentally changing the fabric of how we, we, we operate businesses and operate companies. And that's what, you know, growth of any country is actually built on is the development of corporations so that is changing the, the fabric of the way we do business and how the GDP of countries is actually affected. And that to me is a, it's, it's a fascinating thing to sit on the outside. Well, not on the outside, kind of almost on the outside and sitting there watching the regulators thinking, hmm, what are we going to do about this? And the, um, the DeFi community saying, well, you know, see what you're going to do and we're going to change it again. And so that, that, that to me is where I'm um, most excited. Absolutely. What about you, Faiko? Uh, actually, Iqbal kind of stole my answer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Uh, well, for me, it's it's the same thing. Yeah, it's for me, it's mass adoption, but uh, it's a double-edged sword. Like, I'm excited about mass adoption and all the new challenges uh, that are going to come with it, that users are going to be able to use DeFi and replace the traditional financial system. That's the good part. And um, I, I don't want to say the bad part, but the challenging, the more challenging part is going to be the regulations. Uh, so how we're going to uh, that how we're going to sar- serve the the regulations and how the regulators are going to be able to regulate this all this craziness because right now DAOs are an amazing uh, uh, like. Um, organization type that we have in DeFi. And I think that's that's the future. So that, that that's pretty much the same. We are like Geekbal. That's great. Where, where do you see the regulation um, starting from? Do, do you see, like we've already seen China and, and I think China is like a different topic here, but where do you see, do you see Europe or, or the States uh, being kind of the first movers, movers there? Or do you, what's your vision with regards to that? Uh, there are regulations uh, being uh, cooked in Europe and in the U.S. I think that right now the U.S. is moving uh, faster forward with some kind of regulation. Uh, but 
I think that we need to think, or the regulators need to think, uh, the regulations, sorry for, for the re repeating the regulation all the time, but it's they, they need to think it better because it's not a simple thing to regulate. Because you have people, you have a code, there are a lot of, of, of liabilities that are, that are not, um, or responsibilities that are not very clear. So it's uncertain. And I think that needs to change the uncertainty. It's also a question of timing, because if you regulate too early, then you kill innovation. If you regulate too late, it becomes like chaos. Iqbal, you know, you're, you're, you live in the UK, but you're also, you know, pretty, pretty much involved with regulations here in France. What, what can you tell us about that? So I, I, I don't think it's, it's which country is going to regulate first. I think there are certain countries which everybody else watches because they value their regulatory framework. So, you know, the UK's regulatory framework has been pretty solid over the past, you know, 50, 60 years, if not longer. So there are countries will, which will sit and watch to see what the UK does, what does Switzerland do, what does the US do? And then they will kind of retrofit that into their, into their models. I think the, the issue that we have here is, one, the regulator has a complete lack of understanding of what crypto is. And that's not, and that's not because it's who they are. It's just the industry is moving so, so fast. Um, so somehow we need to address that challenge. And the second is, I genuinely feel we need to start with a blank sheet of paper. We, we, we cannot retrofit regulation, which is working for traditional financial systems, and apply that to the world of crypto. And the other thing is, we, we honestly need to ask ourselves the question is, why are we regulating this industry? We keep saying we're protecting the consumer, but let's be honest, a lot of the, the issues in the world of finance are still occurring in traditional finance, whether it's fraud or KYC. And we see traditional banks getting fined every six months because they failed to do KYC on some kind of money laundering. So is the regulation, traditional regulation, working for traditional finance? If it's not, then why do we want to cut and paste and apply that to some completely new model? So we need to ask ourselves why we're regulating and what are we really doing? And I think the answer of protecting the consumer, at least for me personally, no longer works. 100%. 100%. So it's time to move on to our last segment of the show. This is Free For All. So for this last segment of the show, I've decided to share my power with you and have you ask each other one question each. Uh, this is our own way of participating in decentralization. Uh, so feel free to go first. Okay, so I, I, I will ask. So you're very involved in the world of DeFi and crypto as, as we are also. But uh, what's your one bet? Who's the Amazon? Nice question, Iqbal. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and before you answer, could you message me so that I can actually buy the token first? But no, yeah, what, what, what's the Amazon for you? Uh, I don't, I don't see an Amazon, uh, in DeFi because, uh, we're seeing a lot of collaboration. So I see, I see a, a bunch of, of protocols that I think are going to be here the long term, like, uh, Aave, Compound, Yearn, Uniswap, SushiSwap, uh, or all those blue chips. Um, I think they're going to be here. And, and you see it when, when a problem happens, when a problem happens, there are, uh, devs from all over the protocols helping that single protocol that's having an issue. So I don't see an Amazon because you need all the other protocols. We see that Yearn, you see it in Uniswap, in SushiSwap, in Aave. They need all protocols to work. What could Aave do without a MakerDAO that can feed them DAI, for example? Uh, 
Uh, so I think there are foundational stones uh, like MakerDAO, for example. They are they, they mean to die, but you also have USDC, you have USDT. Uh, I see I see more like a bunch of protocols, the blue chips being here for the long term, and I think that right now there are a lot of emerging new primitives, like a lot of options protocols are are uh, popping up right now. Uh, and a lot of new uh, financial primitives that are going to be here in the long term. And we're going to see them grow really, really, really fast. Good answer. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Super tricky question. Uh, I I wanted to ask you about, um, about, it's not user security. It's uh, more about uh, curation. Do, do Do you think there's, we need, more curation of, on uh, what a user can access. And let me let me expand that, that question. It's about, uh, it's really tightly related to Ledger because right now when you sign on a device, you are signing an address. That's quite cryptic actually for some users. Uh, so do, do we need a walled garden? What, what do you think we need for users to feel more safe when they are signing a transaction? So I don't feel we need a walled garden, you know, I, I, you know, being at Ledger, I, I would not want to be the person to decide what applications somebody could access. I would want to be in a position to ensure that they can access any of those applications securely. And the reason I say this is curation happens by default. If you look at the internet, you know, the Google and say they can index whatever the trillions of pages or billions of pages, et cetera, human nature by its, uh, by the way we designed, we automatically curate the websites we end up going to. Um, so I think the apps which are powerful, which are strong, which are I, the ones you've mentioned and, and stand the test of time will self-curate. And people will start referring them and saying, well, this is the one I'm using, this is the one I'm using, and this is the one I'm using. And so they will solidify their positions and the others will fall by the wayside. Um, but I think creating a walled garden and saying, well, we're just going to be looking at these top 10 apps I think one, we're way, way too early to be doing that. And two, I wouldn't be one to be the judge and jury on something like that. Um, I think all we have to do is educate consumers on the risk that they have. Um, but if they want to access it, give them access in a secure manner or you know the most secure manner that we have available today uh, and let the market curate it uh, you know, itself. Yeah, that's really nice. I totally agree about education, yeah. That's a great way to end it, education. Gentlemen, it's been a real pleasure chatting with both of you. I'm looking forward to using Yearn and Ledger Live and uh, maybe having you both again soon for some more news. Um, so thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you, all. Thanks, Iqbal. It's Thank been a pleasure. You. Cheers, man. Bye. That's it. If you found this to be interesting, go check Yearn in the discovery section in Ledger Live. And as usual, if you want to explore crypto and NFTs, we've got you covered with Ledger Academy, School of Block, and of course, down the rabbit hole. So be sure to check them all out as well. This was On The Ledger from Paris with your host Mol Saeed. Till next time, take care. Au revoir. This content is provided for informational purposes only and is the sole expression of our opinion and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment, or tax advice. Do your own research. Any loss or profit is your sole responsibility. Stay safe.